welcome back to the World Trade Webcast. We're talking this week with Garrett Workman, Associate Director of the Atlantic Council and author of the newly released report from the Atlantic Council, The Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, Big Opportunities for Small Business. Garrett, uh, you've done a great job so far this week uh, talking about the context of TTIP and its potential value for small businesses, as well as giving us some insight into how the report was actually put together and, and which small businesses you talked to. Today and tomorrow, I thought we could talk about policy recommendations in the report. And perhaps a good starting point would be uh, to review uh, the policy recommendations and the, talk about the likelihood that they'll actually be uh, included in the final agreement. Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Um, so we, we, had, we came up with seven concrete recommendations for the negotiators, um, where we basically wanted to look at things that were both likely to be included, or at least should be included, um, as well as the ones that would most benefit small companies if they were included. Um, and we decided to start with you know the easy, in quotation, stuff, which is eliminate transatlantic tariffs. I mean, as we were talking about in yesterday's segment, you know, sometimes these tariffs are quite low, but they could still wipe out your entire profit margin. So even if your tariff on your specific product, be it a, you know, a bike or a pair of athletic socks or whatever it may be, um, maybe it's only three or four percent. But if your profit margin is only one or two percent, you're probably not going to export it since you're literally losing money on every sale. So it's really important. And I would argue even more important for small companies than big companies that these tariffs get taken out. Um, we've done this with lots of other um, partners. We've done this across NAFTA, obviously, as well as the Korea and some other countries. It makes sense that we would do that with the, the European Union, who is you know, the world's largest economy and one of our major trading partners as well. Um, second, we looked at the, the duty-free limits that we face when we are either shipping or maybe even traveling to the United States or Europe. Um, what's weird is if you are on a plane, you're able to carry $800 worth of stuff with you duty-free. Um, so if you go to Europe and you go on a shopping spree and you come back with some clothes and some chocolate and whatever you might want to bring, some cheese maybe, um, you, have to, you have up to $800 where you don't have to pay customs duties on it. But if you ship it in a box, you know that, that, that is only $250 that you get without having to pay these fees. So if a company, a small company especially, is shipping multiple things to multiple customers across Europe, it's pretty likely that each of their boxes has more than $250 on it. So they're having to pay customs every single time, both ways. Um, we think that it that doesn't make sense. We should raise them to be the same. It shouldn't cost more to send a box than if you're on a plane. And ideally, they would match that in Europe. Right now, the, the levels are a little bit lower for what you get as an exception when you're going into Europe. Um, so ideally, they would match them and raise them to the at least whatever the highest politically feasible level is. Um, and then we got into some more difficult things. Uh, product testing and certification processes should be simplified. Basically what that means is that companies are doing their product safety certifications on one side of the Atlantic or the other. Um, if, if they can't, at least the ideal would be that they would recognize each other's safety information as being equivalent. So you, we would say that if the European food and drug, at the FDA equivalent in Europe had deemed a drug safe, we would do the same, vice versa. Um, if they can't do that, the, the, at least they could share their testing data. Um, I think we can all trust that the Europeans are equally adept at regulation and safety testing as the American authorities. So if they could at least share their spreadsheets of data and testing results, um, it would save us a lot of money, it would save time, and it would allow customers to get their hands-on products faster and for small businesses to ship their products out to their customers faster as well. 
Um, the fourth one goes a little bit along with that, which is recognize equivalent standards to prevent unnecessary duplication, which is essentially, so in the industries where we can deem them, deem both sides equally regulated, we should just say if it's safe in one country, it's safe in the other. Um, I don't think anyone has any problem going to a pharmacy in Europe and taking some cold medicine and thinking it's going to be unsafe. I don't think anyone in Europe visits the States and is afraid to get in a rental car or to have dinner at a restaurant. I think we're all pretty much confident in each other's ability to make sure everything is safe. So in those industries where we can do that and the regulations are more or less equivalent, we should just um, recognize those standards as being essentially equivalent. You've covered um, the first four beautifully. Tomorrow we can, uh, can cover the remaining three and then uh, hopefully have a little bit of time too to talk about the process of actually getting these seven recommendations into the final uh, trade agreement. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. So uh, we'll be back again tomorrow uh, with Garrett uh, for the final day of our conversation uh, about uh, TTIP, and uh, the, that's the proposed US-EU free trade agreement. Uh, for our latest schedule of upcoming episodes, please subscribe to us with any of the links below and bookmark this page. All of our previous episodes can be found at thinklobal.com slash webcast. And thanks for watching.